If you have your Bibles, I invite you to open to John chapter 11. That's where we're going to be today. And, um, and uh, I just want to really quickly make note of something that's happening in our world, in our nation, that, uh, that most of you are, have heard about and are aware of. And that is the, the, the revival that's happening on some college campuses. It began at Asbury uh, campus uh, in, in Wilmore, Kentucky. And, um, and I, I believe it's still happening and it's moving. And, and I want you to know that just as God has moved powerfully there, God is moving powerfully here as well too. It looks a little different and that's okay. But know this, that, that God is at work. And, and we, the church, we need to be attentive to the work that he is doing. And so my prayer is that during this time of Lent, a time where we, we, we set apart to specifically do some things to prepare ourselves to be more attentive, that we would live into that. So please get the Lenten devotional because that will help. But that's not the only answer. It is to join into the journey of, of reflecting about who we are in Christ. And also taking a spirit and a heart and an attitude of repentance. Because that's a big part of this time of Lent. Repenting. To, to feel the sorrow of sin in this world. Whether it's yours or, 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 or the sin that is committed. And in reflecting and in a spirit of repentance... My prayer is that this spirit of revival that is taking place in our country would happen in us. Revival happens in people when people gather together. And then it spreads. And so as we gather together, if it's happening in your heart and in mine, because we've taken the time to prepare ourselves, it'll happen here. And so I'm excited for that. And not only revival, but the joy of what happens in the resurrection of Jesus on Easter can become ours as well too. And that's the whole heart and spirit of Lent so that we can mourn and be sorrowful for the things that lead up to the most joyous day in the life of the year. And that is the, the celebration of the resurrection of Jesus, which we will, <laughs> which we will do well. And I'm, I'm planning for a unique and a great service that lay ahead. So, I just wanted to invite you to be a part of this Lenten journey to experience the fullness of the resurrection of Jesus. And speaking of resurrection, we're here in John chapter 11. And if you know anything about John chapter 11, as you have opened your Bible to John chapter 11, you see that in John chapter 11, it is the story of the raising of Lazarus. And um, this is, is a... a <laughs> This is an amazing, amazing story. We will continue in our journey with Jesus and looking at this powerful resurrection story of Jesus raising Lazarus from the grave. And if you've been a part of Dish.com and the readings that we have done through the Gospel of Luke, then today's sermon will it's going to be like a plug and play. Today's sermon will fit right in to the things that we've been reading about. Because if you've been reading through Luke chapter 7 and Luke chapter 8, you know something that if people aren't reading along with dish.com may not know. And that is this. 
that Lazarus is not the only person that Jesus raised up from the grave. In Luke chapter 7, there was the story of the widow in Nain whose, whose child died. And they were in the funeral procession. And, and with deep compassion, Jesus intervenes and brings that child back to life. We've turned the page to, to Luke chapter 8. And in Luke chapter 8, there's another story of Jesus bringing Jairus' 12-year-old daughter to life again. And, and through our readings, through Dish.com, we have been finding those stories and how powerful those stories have been. And so this raising of Lazarus from the grave, it's not unique to Jesus. Like this isn't the only time he's done it. But in this story here, in Luke chapter 11, there's something unique about it. There's something that Jesus reveals about himself that he does not in in Luke chapter 7 and 8, that he does in John chapter 11. In the raising of Lazarus, Jesus shares something about himself that, that I pray we do not miss. Because there is a powerful Christological narrative that we cannot miss. And if you've been... Um, in church since December, as we've gone through the Advent series, um, you know my passion and my desire for the deepening of our Christology here at our church. And, and Pastor Bob, thank you so much for sending me that email this week. Pastor Bob was reading a, a book, and um, it was by a Swiss theologian named Emil Brunner. And, and he shared this quote with me, and I, I put it up here because if... Me, just your, your humble pastor, has this passion for the depth of Christology, and, and it's something that I believe truly makes a difference in our daily life. Uh, pastor Bob read this and said, you, you need to see this. And he said, Emil Brunner, the Swiss theologian, who knows so much more than me, <laughs> says this, the center and foundation of the whole Christian faith is Christology. That is faith in Jesus Christ, the mediator. And that was through his book, The Mediator. And I've been hammering and hammering and hammering this message of knowing Jesus more and, and knowing Jesus deeper so that as we, as we know him, we can live into who he is for our lives. We can follow the example that he has given us deep, deeper and, and, and have a... a, a, a have a, a, a faith in our life that is, that is unique in this world because it looks more and more like Jesus than ever before. And so, today, we're going to look at John chapter 11 and the raising of Lazarus. And as we look at this story, we're going to look through the lens of Christology, Okay? And so if you have your Bibles, I want you to hold it out. I want you to know that there's 63 verses in, I'm sorry, 43 verses in this story. And it's a, it's a lot of verses to read if we just went ahead and read it. I could read it. It'll take about 15 minutes and, and then I'd only have 15 minutes to preach. So we're, we're not going to read the whole thing. Um, but uh, but we're, we're going to just take excerpts of it to highlight the very things that Highlight the Christology of who Jesus is. Because in John chapter 11, there is this 
amazing, beautiful example of the hypostatic union of Jesus. And the hypostatic, yes, big theological words. What that means is just the, the merging and the molding of the two natures of who Jesus is. His fully divine nature and his fully human nature. And those two are, are almost you know, on polar opposites, his divinity and his humanity, but they come crashing together in one person. And when we see this come together, it, it, is, it is something that draws us in because Jesus is just like us. But it pulls us even closer because he's fully divine and our faith can be placed in him. And so church today, I want to just highlight these things because when we talk about when we talk about someone raising another person from the grave, huh, that's godly work. That's, that's divine intervention. And that's who Jesus is. But when you read this story here in John chapter 11 of the raising of Lazarus, there is this human element in it that we cannot miss either. And both are precisely what makes Jesus who he is. So, like the last few weeks, I'm going to give you homework. We're not going to read the whole thing. Today, sometime this week, you go and read this story for yourself. And you take in all of who Jesus says that he is. But I'm going to point out the fully human and the fully divine aspects of Jesus to help us know him more fully, to believe in him more deeply, to follow him even closer than we do so that our lives can bear his image. So, if you have your Bibles with you, I'm going to begin in verse 1, John chapter 11. Now a man named Lazarus was sick, and he was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. And when he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister, and Lazarus. So, when he heard that Lazarus was sick, this is curious, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he went to his disciples and said, let's go back to Judea. Wow. Great word from the Lord. This just begins our story of, of, of the raising of Lazarus. And I want to point out something here that is unmistakable about Jesus' humanity that I think is so important. And that is this. <laughs> Jesus is a friend. Right? Uh, uh, let me just... Jesus is, is the best friends with Martha Mary and Lazarus. I would say that he's their homie, right? They're homies. They're besties together. In Hawaii, you know what we, we call people like that? That you're, you're, you're not related to by blood, but you're closer than family. In Hawaii, we have a word for that. Hanai. 
There are hanai ohana. And, and when we have people like that in our lives, you know, they're our besties. And Jesus had that in his life. Whenever Jesus was there in Jerusalem, he stayed at Martha and Mary and Lazarus' home. He not only stayed there, he ate their food. He enjoyed their company. He cherished their friendship. And when, when, when the word was sent to Jesus that Lazarus was sick, did you notice that they didn't even use his name? Right? They said, Lord, the one you love is sick. And Jesus already knew who that was. Oh, that's his divine part. But <laughs> he knew who they were talking about. The one that he loves, Lazarus, was sick. We know that Jesus had many followers. But Martha, Mary, and Lazarus were three of his favorites. And what this gives us is a glimpse into the life of the humanity of Jesus, right? His human nature. Just so you know, Jesus, he needed personal relationships in his life that were even outside of his work and ministry. He had his 12 disciples with him all the time. He had many, many people following him. But Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, they were special. They were the ones, the Bible says, that Jesus loved. And you understand that because hopefully and prayerfully there are people in your lives that you share that kind of relationship. When you get together, there's chemistry there. You know what I'm talking about? And Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, they blessed Jesus. They blessed him. In fact, those of you who are in dish.com, last night's reading, Luke chapter 10, did you read this story about Jesus going to Martha and Mary's house? Right? And, and, and Martha's scurrying around, getting everything ready, and Mary's just sitting there at Jesus' feet, taking it all in. And Martha's like, Lord, my sister, she's so lazy. She won't even pick up anything to help. <laughs> And uh, Jesus said, I'm not going to take that away from her. She's chosen what's better. See, Jesus went to their home. And they gave of themselves so beautifully to Jesus in that way. So point number one today. You can follow Jesus' example and be a bestie. (laughs) Be a homie. Nurture the relationships that are important to you. And, and Hadley, this is why my heart is good. Otherwise, I'd be bawling <laughs> with you saying goodbye. You know. But I understand how important relationships are. And they're good for all of us. So, can I just tell you? To work on the friendships that you have. Deepen it and strengthen it, just as Martha and Mary and Lazarus do with Jesus. And Jesus does with them. Bless others, because it's healthy to have close and personal friends. Jesus was, it shows a very human side of Jesus, and we ought to live into that. The second thing I want to highlight is this, that 
There's a divine side to Jesus in this story as well, too. And that divine side shows us this beautiful, beautiful light that shines on Jesus because he is the Lord of life. Because when I, when I read the story, and I even mentioned it as I was reading the passage of Scripture, that it was kind of curious that Jesus' best friends were going through such difficult and challenging times, right? They sent word, Lord, the one you love is sick. Can you hear the urgency in, in, their, in their request to him to come, right? It's a plea for help. Lord, the one you love is sick. And even after Jesus gets there, after he waits a while and gets there, they, they almost lament, if you had only been here, Lord, if you'd only been here. They know that Jesus could have done something about it. They've been around Jesus long enough to know that he is the Lord of life. And if you had a best friend that needed your help right away, and they sent word, would you, would you help? Most best friends would be there like that, right? Kim, these wonderful ladies beside you, they're here because they're your besties. You guys are homies all together. <laughs> and when she needed you, you showed up, right? And so when we look here, it's so curious then that Jesus does not go right away. Huh. Why, why doesn't he go? Because you know, you know that he loves them. In fact, verse 5 and 6 even says that. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. It's just odd. Except if you understand who Jesus is, the Lord of life. And this passage right here in verse 4, the one precedes it, tells us that he is the Lord of life. Because Jesus has the power over life and death. John chapter 11 verse 4, Jesus declares, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Wow. Jesus made a proclamation of His divinity. He is the Lord of life, and He's saying, I'm telling you right now, what just happened is going to be for God's glory, and Lazarus, it's not going to end in death. So we're going to stay here for a couple more days. That's what Jesus is saying. And He stays a few more days. And then He, he heads out and We'll, we'll, we'll look at the rest of the story. But I just want to pause right here and let you know that as the Lord of life, Jesus has power over death, right? And, and in our world, when we look at this uh, example here, we see the two deaths that are at play here. First is physical, the physical death. What, what's happening to Lazarus right now? He's dying and we all understand the loss of death. I mean, ugh, we just went to Midway yesterday to celebrate the life of Kim O'Hare's father. Some of you were there on 
at the memorial service. By the way, thank you for inviting me to be a part of that. And so death is a real thing, and and everybody faces it. But did you know that spiritual death entered this world before physical death did? When you look back to Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 to 17, hear the word of the Lord. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will certainly, what? Die. You will certainly die. And Adam ate the fruit from that tree and lived till over 900 years old. He didn't die right away physically. But you know what happened to Adam? You do, right? Adam died spiritually. There was a death in Adam because he disobeyed God. Adam ate the fruit. He he lived to over 900 years old, but he died spiritually. Because after Adam and Eve sinned, they lost their intimacy with God. They lost their intimacy with each other. They realized that they were naked. And so what did they do from God? They hid from God. Ah. And that close relationship that God so desired to have with humanity was gone because of a spiritual death. And the desire that God had for man and woman to have a close relationship was also gone Because they began to cover themselves up in shame of being together as God had originally intended. And so there was spiritual death that entered this world before physical death. But Jesus is Lord over that. Praise God. We know this because he tells us that death will, this this death in And Lazarus will not end that way. And so, we look at life now. And just as death has two kinds, life also mirrors the same way. There's two kinds of life. There's the physical life that we all enjoy. We breathe air. We eat food. We enjoy each other's company. We're enjoying the physical life that we live. But there is a spiritual life that impacts our physical life. You see... The value of this life that we are living right now is greatly determined by, of all things, who we serve. It's true. And that's why Christology is so important. Because when we understand what it means to serve Jesus and the fullness of who He is, there is a life that comes to us that does not come to us in any other way. Because if we choose to serve anything or anyone else in this world, it devalues the life that we live. If I choose to live for myself alone, I will live a a, a dark, lonely life. If If you know people who are narcissists and who only live to serve themselves, it's not a life that you want to choose to live. Or if you choose to serve anything else in this world, but you choose to give your life to Jesus, 
and you read what Jesus tells us that our lives could be, oh my goodness, there is a life of fullness, a life with plan and purpose for every single one of us. See, when Jesus is Lord, life is different. When we answer His call and we know His plan for our lives and we live our lives with purpose more than just existing church, more than just squeaking by, Jesus desires that our lives thrive. It thrives. In fact, in John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus said these words, right? I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And Jesus is not talking about what you do for your life. He's talking about who you are. And that's what makes the difference because Jesus transforms us into the people that he would have us to be. I love the Hawaiian Pigeon Bible's version of John 10.10. And I'll read it for you. Actually, I memorized this passage of scripture. But this is what it says. I will come so that people can come alive inside and live to the max. Can I get an amen? That is such good words. Now, if anybody here that grew up in Hawaii besides me, anybody else? Where? Right there. Oh, Sterling. (laughs) Of course. Brah. You understand what that says, right? You get them. Brah, I mean, come so that people can come alive inside and live to the max. You see that? I love that translation because he's not talking about what Jesus is going to do for you and, and what's going to happen in your life. He's talking about who you're going to be. And that's what Jesus changes and transforms us into who he wants us to be. Not just the good things that's going to happen to you, but God happens to you. Reminds me of the great quote from William Wallace in Braveheart. <laughs> He says, all men die, but not all men really live. Thank you. I heard that. Thank you, Steve. (laughs) Through Jesus as Lord of life, we can really live. That's good news for us, church. And that leads us to To me, the most important part of today's sermon, and that is this, that in John chapter 11, verse 25 and 26, Jesus shares his identity. He he confesses it. He, He shares it. He tells us. He declares it. And this is what he says to Martha as he meets her along the way. Jesus said to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? What Jesus is saying here about himself, to me, is one of the most powerful claims of his own Christology along with that fact that he says that he is the son of God. That he says today, I am the resurrection and the life. He's proclaiming that he's the source 
of the resurrection. And he's the source of life. And apart from Jesus, there will be no resurrection. And apart from Jesus, there is no eternal life either. And this reveals this amazing divine nature that we're talking about. His, his, his humanity, which we see, but this divinity of, of who he says he is. More than a, a, a God that gives life, Jesus is the source of life. And that's why death has no power over him. And you know, honestly, we should have known this from the very beginning of John's gospel because John begins his gospel telling us this very truth in the very beginning of John chapter 1, beginning at verse 1. He says, he says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And He was with God in the beginning, and through Him all things were made. And without Him nothing was made that has been made. And in Him was what? Was the life. And that life was the light of man. In him was the life. He, it started that way in creation. Jesus is the giver of life because he's the source of life. And he is the resurrection and the life. Jesus offers spiritual life to all who place their faith in him. That spiritual life is a transformation of who you, who you are to who God would have you to be. And we have with that the assurance of eternal life with Jesus. And that church is the gospel. It is the good news for the world today. And we, as believers of Jesus, as followers of Jesus, as people who are studying his Christology, we can add this to our own Christology and live into this victorious, this purposeful, this abundant life that Jesus came to give to us because he's the source of life and the source of resurrection. And today, if I just ended my sermon here and said amen, I think we would have a, a good sermon, a good message on Jesus' self-revelation of his own Christology of who he is as a man and who he is as a divine God. But there's one more point that I'd like to close with because I don't want you to miss. That as we read just a little bit further down in John chapter 11, we find the God of creation, the God who is the source of life, He weeps for his friends because they are mourning. And this shows the depth of the humanity of who Jesus is. Here in John chapter 11, verse 33 to 35, Jesus is now with Mary, the second sister, as she goes out to meet with him. And when he sees her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and trouble. In verse 34, where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, they replied. And there, 
The shortest verse in the entire Bible, a verse that we can all commit to memory, John eleven thirty five, Jesus wept. When I think about the God of creation weeping for the mourning and the loss of, of a friend, man, I am... I'm moved. I'm moved. Because I have been wept over and I have wept over others. And this same Jesus that created this world is just like me. And he's just like you. Have you ever wept? Like, and, and when we talk about this word weeping here, this word, this, this word weeping, it means to quake or to shake. It's not just getting teary-eyed. It's not, oh, I feel bad. It's the kind of being troubled in your soul that you kind of, you, you, you shake because you feel it so real. That's what Jesus was feeling. As he mourned with Martha, and Mary and all the other Jews that were gathered around them. And it shows the tender, compassionate human side of Jesus. And he lets us know that it's okay to hurt. Because grieving is a natural response when we're hurt. Just as drinking is a natural response or having to thirst. Or sneezing is a natural response to getting dust in, in your nose. Grieving is natural. And if you ever needed permission to grieve, here it is. The example that Jesus gives to us. It shows his tenderness and compassion. And here in John chapter 11, church, we have two of the most powerful examples of Christology, I think, maybe in the entire Bible. Jesus' divinity. Of being the source of life and the power of the resurrection and Jesus' humanity being a, a homie and a best friend that shakes when he weeps for the people that he loves. Wow. By the way, as I was writing this sermon, I came to the end and I realized, were we talking about the raising of Lazarus? Because <laughs> that's what the sermon title is. We are talking about the raising of Lazarus. And in verses 43 and 44, Jesus calls into the grave and has Lazarus come out of the tomb and you know what happens? Lazarus comes out. <laughs> he comes out because, church, Jesus is exactly who he says he is. He is the resurrection and he is the life. And I am excited about that. And I believe that when we place our faith in that same Jesus, we can experience 
that same resurrection in our own hearts and in our own lives. And we can experience a life that maybe we've never had before. And if we place our faith in Him, you know what the Bible says? That we can even experience life. We will live even though we die. And whoever lives and believes in Him will never die. So here's the question. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? I pray that you do. Would you bow your heads and join me in this prayer? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for being our example. Father in heaven, thank you so much that you are a friend that's closer than a brother. You are Hanai to us. You are somebody, Lord God, that feels our joys and celebrates with us, but shakes with us in our pain and in our sorrow. You are a God who's willing to weep with his people. And for that, Lord God, we are grateful. Thank you for being so real to us. And today, Lord God, we give you glory. And we thank you, God, for being the source of life. You are the life that we need today, Lord God. And you are the life our world needs. And you are the life that is to come for each of us. Lord, because of you, we can know with assurance that death will never hold us down. And we thank you for that. And Lord God, it is my prayer today that each of us would open our hearts to the resurrection and the life, to you, so that you, God, can be our Savior. And if that has already happened in us, Lord God, then may we grow and develop, Lord God, deepen our Christology to make you Lord, to surrender all to you so that you can come alive inside of us and help us live to the max. Oh, God, that's our prayer today. And in this time of quiet, with just your Holy Spirit's presence with us, Would you connect our hearts with yours, Lord God? Would you use this time to reconcile us back into you? To turn our hearts away from the things of this world? To turn our attention towards you? Lord God, because you are who you say you are. You are the resurrection and the life. Father, may we find our whole life in your Son, Jesus, we pray today. We surrender surrender all to you. We love you, Lord. Amen.